Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. As we prepare to leave 2020, it gives us an opportunity to do what Dr. Henry Cloud, how many of you ever read the Boundaries book? Raise your hand. If you've never read the Boundaries book by Dr. Henry Cloud, should they read it? It's one of the most powerful books. It's a, I'm, I'm not going to tell you about it, but go ahead and read it. Dr. Henry Cloud, the book is called Boundaries. But as Dr. Henry Cloud says, it gives us the opportunity to have necessary endings. Is there anything you want to leave in 2020? Not named COVID? I I can tell you, I don't know what names are the most popular names. For years, Jacob was the most popular name in the world. But I can tell you, nobody's going to be named COVID for a long time. But as we do, we, we, we look back and we see this is another opportunity for us to see and to measure change. Some of you remember the story, I probably told it two or three times over the last 22 years, where it was New Year's Day in Atlanta Airport. Now, how many of you know Atlanta Airport is the busiest airport in the world? They say when you die, if you go to heaven or hell, you still change planes in Atlanta. I don't know if that's true, and I don't know if they have a trip to purgatory, Ken, maybe you, you but, but that, that's what they say. But it is absolutely packed. And when there is uh, delays and when there is bad weather or when there is just aggravated pilots, I mean, everything gets stacked. How many of you have ever been stacked up in Atlanta? Raise your hand. And there's just people. And this was one of those days. It, it, it was, it was a New Year's Day. And I just brought in a guy to, to the Lafayette. This was in 1979 or 80. How many of you weren't even born? I'm old, y'all. And, and, and there was a guy who was the most popular Christian speaker at that time. He was a comedian named Mike Warnke. And so he'd come to Lafayette, and I was flying back with him to go spend the rest of the, the, the holidays with, with him and his family in Paintsville, Kentucky. And so we're in the Atlanta airport, and I mean everything, every flight is canceled, people are aggravated, they're mad, folks are up on each other. You know how when people just are up in your space? And and just people all over you up in your space, and and, and they're going, flight number nine has been canceled, flight number 23 has been canceled, move to gate number five. I mean, they're, they're going through, and everybody's just waiting for some news. And I'm looking at all of these people. There is many of them lost, aggravated, upset. And I thought, I'm an evangelist. My dream is to get a lot of aggravated people cooped up in one place that need Jesus. In my dream, I'm looking around going, I got everything but a microphone and an offering bucket. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I just grabbed my friend, this, this, this comedian, I said, hey, sit right here a second. And he sat down and I said, watch. So I jumped up on a table and I said, um, could I have your attention, please? Could I have your attention, please? I have a special announcement from Delta Airlines. I have a special announcement from Delta Airlines. <sighs> I mean, this crowd, everybody, all of a sudden, everybody turns, everybody's looking towards me. And I said, we have a special announcement from Delta Airlines. On behalf of Delta Airlines, we would like to wish you a happy new year, but we'd also like to inform you, unless you've given your life to Jesus Christ and been changed, it will not be a new year. It'll be the same old one that you had last year. On behalf of Delta Airlines, thank you. I jumped down, ran to the bathroom. (laughs) I didn't run to the bathroom, but I wanted to run to the bathroom. It's true. Dr. Darius Daniels, who will be with us here and for, for spiritual renewal this coming year, he always shares with us, it's such a profound thought, the difference between seasons and cycles. Pastor Chris mentioned it last week. In seasons, your environment changes. Summer becomes fall. Fall becomes winter. winter becomes, but in cycles, 
Your environment doesn't change until you change. And while many of us will leave 2020 behind, you can leave 2020 behind, but what I told those people in 1979 or 80 in the Atlanta airport is just as true right here in Lafayette, Louisiana at our Savior's Church as it was when I shared it in 1980 in the airport. Things will not change until we change. Until we change. Today, I believe that all of us have things that we would like to leave in 2020 and not take into 2021. Can anybody wave your hand if you want to leave some things in 2020? Don't point at people next to you. Don't yell their names out. Just things that you want to leave. So today, I want to talk to you about things to leave in 2020. Are you ready? Okay. Things to leave in 2020. Number one, unhealthy habits. No, I didn't say meshes and Popeyes. I'll say that next week. (laughs) Say that with me, unhealthy habits. What is a habit? A habit is a pattern of behavior acquired over frequent repetition. All of us have them. Some of them are private. Some of them are public, but all of this, all of us have them. Things like unhealthy language. Unhealthy language. How many of you know the world is getting more wicked every day? Can I tell you something that'll shock you? In 1959, the Knights of Columbus protested a movie in Lafayette, Louisiana, because it used the word seduce. They'd be protesting everything, iPhones, T-Mobile, Sprint. I mean, every, the Knights of Columbus protested because the word seduce was used. Has the world changed a little bit? Uh, Rap music kind of taking that to another extreme? Unhealthy language. Can I tell you something that you need to know? We live in the age of communication. But what people fail to realize is words have power. It doesn't matter how many of them you use or how few of them you use. Words have power. How many of you have ever struggled with your self-esteem? How many of you have ever been insecure? How many of you have been fearful about the way that you look or felt? Do you know that all of those attitudes came to you by virtue of someone's words? You're wearing that? You look like that? Oh, you're too thin. Oh, you're too bad. Oh, you, you should have hair. Oh, you shouldn't have hair. Oh, well, you should be. Every single one of us that are here that have issues in our life that we struggle with when we get dressed to everything else that we do to walking into a room, every single one of us here, someone's words shaped us. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created man. What he did is he created man just like he created everything else. He said, let there be light. There was light. He said, let there be land. There was land. There was water. Everything he spoke, God looked at man and he spoke and breathed into the dust of the earth and he made man out of the dust of the earth. God made man out of the dust of the earth. That's where we get the term from dust you came and from at every funeral. You know what that means? That means your words have power. And not only was the world around you created by words, your entire personal world has been created by words. Some of you all your life were told, you can do it. It doesn't matter what happens to you. It it doesn't matter. You can do it. You're going to make it. You got it. And in life's most difficult moments, you look back and you thought back on those words. Some of you heard just the opposite of that. Words are powerful. Listen to what the Bible says about language. Proverbs 18, 20, and 21. Sharing words of wisdom is satisfying to your inner being. It, what? Say it loud. Encourage you to know that you've, what? Changed someone else's life. What is he talking about? Through encouragement, through words. Your words are, they're what? 
They're powerful. They, that they will, and your words are containers. They either, they either pour encouragement to people or discouragement. They either pour pleasure or pain. They either hurt people or they make people happy. You get to decide. And it doesn't matter if we live in the age of communication. It doesn't matter what rock stars or rap stars or countrymen. It doesn't matter. Your words still most impact those closest to you. You might want to think as we move into this new year about the power of your words, whether they're making people better or they're making people bitter. You have no idea how many 40, 50, and 60-year-old highly successful men I've met that look at me and go, my daddy's gone, but he said I'd never amount to anything. I wish he could see me now. They still hear the echo of their daddy's voice from when they were little boys. They still hear it. Your words are powerful. Very, very, very powerful. Here's the next thing we need to leave behind in 2020. Unhealthy addictions. Now, when we think of addictions, we always think of something bad. But we do. How many of you like to work out? Raise your hand. How many of you are addicted to working out? Raise your hand. Two people. God bless you. (laughs) The rest of you here, we hate you in a Jesus kind of way. How how many of you, you you just, you eat right. You just choose to do the best you can to eat right. Raise your hand. You're just kind of addicted to that. Three people. We hate y'all in a Jesus kind of way too. But as Christians, we want to go to heaven with you. We just want you to be near the whole food section of heaven. Okay, we're going to be by best stop. So each one of us look back. There, there are things we can be addicted to that are good. Eating healthy. Getting in the word every day. Speaking life over people regardless of. Those are good habits, but there are bad habits, but unhealthy addictions. I like to call these inherited flesh patterns. Let me explain that. How many of you have ever made fun of your mom and your daddy? Hey, have you seen that commercial on TV where there's a, I think it's an insurance commercial, I'm not sure, where they're trying to help people to keep from being their parents? How many of you seen that? You know the truth is, a lot of you have been doing that your your whole life. I'm not going to be like my mom and daddy. I'm not going to be like my mom. I used to say that, and now my children mock me in the front room. Okay, and in their mind, they're going, I'm not going to be like my mama and daddy either. Every one of us here have strength flesh patterns in our family, and every one of us have sin flesh patterns in our family. So in my family, the Aranza family, I won the Powerball lottery. My great-grandfather ran off with Pancho Villa in Mexico and abandoned his family. He was a drunk and a womanizer. My grandfather was a drunk and a womanizer till the last five years of his life when he gave his life to Christ, preached like he never sinned and ran off most people. Okay, My father was until he was in his mid-70s when he gave his life to Christ. My brother was until he gave his life to Christ right before the end of his life. Every person, every man in four generations of my family, direct down to my family line, it was all immorality, womanizing, lust, anger, and alcohol. And that was the flesh pattern that I would inherit. Now, all of us have a sin nature. We just have different sins that we fall into. I like to say it like this. It's like, have you ever had your car when it's not in alignment and it kind of pulls over to one side or pulls over to the other? That's your flesh pattern. And every one of us have. For some of you, it's to be negative. For some of you, it's to be critical. For some of you, it's to say anything that comes to your mouth or mind. Out of your mouth. For some, we all have different flesh patterns, but we all have a flesh pattern. It's what pulls you. 
It's compulsions and patterns of living that just you've allowed to decide that's you. Someone was telling me the other day about their, their, their parent would pray for them that they don't get COVID. I said, well, do they, uh, do they smoke? They go, oh, yeah. I said, well, how old are they? He goes, 72. I said, why in the world are they smoking? Mean, can't they tell? He goes, well, my daddy said everybody's going to die of something. I think the guy who jumped in front of a train said that too. <laughs> there are habits that we have like smoking, like, like drinking, like overeating. If I wanted to preach to the sin of South Louisiana, I wouldn't even touch alcohol. Whenever I give in to the constant cravings of my flesh, it's unhealthy for me. No one should eat everything at the table any more than they should be the only person that talks at the table. Smoking, drinking, overeating, negativity. Here's one you never hear preached about. Laziness. Do you know that laziness is a, an unhealthy habit? It's a sin? You know, we, call, we have different words for that. Chilling like a villain. What you doing? I'm just chilling. How long have you been chilling? Five years. Okay. That's not chilling. That's lazy. That's lazy. Unhealthy addictions. How many of you can look at the ones that are in your family line? Raise your hand. Okay. For those of you that didn't raise your hand, ask the person sitting next to you when you leave church. Because all of us can see them very easily and identify them the lives of others. We just usually don't know how to identify them in ourselves. Number four is unhealthy relationships. I'm going to tell you something you need to know. There are no neutral relationships in your life. I'm going to say that again. There are no neutral relationships in your life. Everyone in your life is either a lifter or a load. There's someone that's life-giving to you, or there's someone who's a leech that's life-taking to you. Good relationships are life-giving, challenging, reciprocal. You pour into them, they're there for you. You help them, they help you. They're high impact and they're low maintenance. They're low maintenance. Every relationship requires maintenance, just like a good car. But a bad car just needs more maintenance. The Bible tells us what a healthy relationship is like. And the only reason I say this is so that you'll be able to clearly identify an unhealthy one. Proverbs 27, 17 says, you use steel to sharpen steel and one friend, what? So if you're with people and you do what is wrong, that's a relationship that dulls you. If you're in a relationship and this person calls you up and lifts you and encourages you and helps you become a better person, that's how I can tell when two people are dating and they come up and they go, oh, Pastor Jake, we just love each other. We're just here. We just love each other and being close and kissing and stuff. I, I watch over that course of that relationship. Does he become a better man? Let me tell you what a good woman, a good woman will make a man want to be a better man. He's been lazy sitting around on his tail. He'll jump up and get him a job. He don't care what he looks like. All of a sudden, he starts caring. Every relationship, and that's why a mate is called a helpmate. So when I see someone in a relationship, and all of a sudden, they start getting better by being closer to this person, I'm going, that's help. You don't need company. You need help when you get married. So today, God reminds us. I love what C.S. Lewis said. True friends don't spend time gazing into each other's eyes. They face the same direction towards a common project and a common goal and above all, a common God. Here's the fifth thing. Negative relationships. Life-taking. You know who I'm talking about? Do you know who I'm talking about? High maintenance, do you know who I'm talking about? Time consuming, do you know who I'm talking about? 
They are distractions or disturbances to the God-given direction of your life. You know how you can tell these people? I'm going to tell you. How many of you know when you see their name come up on your phone, you go, ah. Come on, tell the truth. Don't lie. You see their name come up, and your wife goes, the phone's ringing. You go, oh, Sam. You don't have to say anything else. You have to say anything else, do you? I mean, there are people, first of all, I don't answer any phone number that I don't know. So if you call me and it's your last call in the world, unless I have your number, I will not answer because what robocallers do is they get local numbers. How many of you know that? It'll say St. Martinville or New Iberia and, and they use, so I don't. So I figure if it's that important, they'll leave me a message and then I'll check it. Okay. And as you know, I don't have to tell you this, this is a robocaller's trap. They go, hello, is this Jacob? And they wait for you to say yes. And if you say yes, they record it. And then they get credit cards in your name with your yes. They get other credit lines, all with your actual yes. So don't ever answer the phone and say, answer the phone. And they go, Jacob. And you go, Henry. Henry's a good name. Nobody's named Henry. So, and if you are named Henry, I'm glad you have that name, but nobody typically is named Henry. (laughs) Negative relationships are life-taking. Proverbs 13, 20, the, the B part of the verse says this. Read it with me. Hang out with fools and watch your life. What? It's a proximity problem. I'm gonna explain that in just a moment. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Look at what 1 Corinthians 15, says. Stop fooling yourself. In other words, if you think what he's about to say, you, you're a fool. You're fooling yourself. Read it with me. Stop fooling yourself. Evil will what? And what is he saying here? You don't have to do what these people are doing. All you have to do is be close to them. And the consequences of their life and the roadside bombs of their sin will blow up and affect you even if you're not doing what they're doing. That's why it says, don't be a fool. Another translation says, don't be deceived. Because if you think, well, I I can go into a bar and I'm not going to drink. I can go around nasty Nicky and it's not going to affect me. I can go around drunk Donald and I'm not going to have a drink. I can go around, hi, Harry. Nobody's named Harry either. Hi, Harry. And that's not true. He's saying to you the proximity of you surrounding yourself and even getting near foolish people, if you're not doing what they're doing, if you're just close to them, that the sin of their life is going to stain yours. You can clap now. Before God can send you the relationships you need in your life, You've got to close the door to unhealthy relationships that are in your life. Can I give you a newsflash? Look right here. How many of you would like great friends? How many of you like great Christian character friends? Okay. How many of you like to be around generous people that add to your life? Look right here. I'm going to give you the greatest newsflash of the year before we leave 2020. You don't attract what you want. You attract what you are. And, and if you are allowing yourselves to be pulled down into these negative relationships and unhealthy relationships, the truth is that's who you think you are. And it's a lie of the enemy. It's a lie. One of the tools I'm going to give you next week, I carry around with me. I carry right here. This is a confession card of scriptures who God says that I am, regardless of what anybody else says on Facebook about me. Because this created the world around me and it recreated me and it continues to create me. I'm going I'm to have this tool for you and, and we're going to give that out to you. I'm going to have our team Assistant Lindsay, and, and, and get this ready for you because I want you to have a tool that you can carry out with you that reminds you because the world is constantly bombarding you with negative relationships and negative words. Stop praying for new life-giving relationships until you get rid of the relationships in your life you know God wants you to get rid of. 
Dr. Darius says it so well. We should not only evaluate who comes into our lives, we should also evaluate who sent them into our lives. If it's a distraction to the purposes of God, who is it? Oh, let me, come on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember, there's no neutral relationships. If it takes me away from God, who sent it? The enemy did. If it draws me close to God, who sent it? God did. You don't need a fortune cookie from Tsunami to figure that out. Should I be dating this girl from Cleavage, Ohio, who's sitting across from me? Oh, the fortune cookie said somebody will come into your life important. This is God. You're laughing. I married a lady one time that when her marriage started falling apart, I looked at her and I said, why didn't you tell me all this was going on before I married y'all? She said, I won a bingo. And she said, that was my sign I was supposed to get married. You're laughing. She wasn't laughing. And she hasn't laughed since because it's been filled with negativity and heartbreak. Here's the next thing, number six, that we want to leave behind in 2020. Here it is. It's not even a word we use often, but we use other words to kind of dress it up and kind of wrap it up in Christmassy gift packaging. Revenge. When's the last time you said to yourself, I'm going to get revenge against them? They're going to see what a Boudreaux's like. They don't know what it's like to be from Cankton. Look at me. Revenge. Do you know the Bible speaks to that? Let me ask you a question. Just be honest right here. We're here in church together. It's just me and you and everybody watching from all over the world online. Just us. How many of you, the thoughts ever crossed your mind, I want to get revenge? I could say that. Crossed my mind. Listen to what the scripture says about revenge. The definition of revenge is to avenge oneself and inflict injury on another person. In other words, if I give up revenge, I give up the right to hurt you for hurting me because the word revenge implies I want to put back on you what you put on me. I want you to feel the way. I want you to hurt like. I want you to be in pain like. The person who holds on to revenge keeps his own wounds open. The person who holds on to revenge keeps your own wounds wide open. Romans 12, 19 says this, Beloved, never, say it loud, never avenge yourself. Okay, now you go, that's just not, well, what if people do things wrong to me, pastor? And what people deserve, they deserved, they don't deserve to be, they deserve for somebody to deal with them. How many of you believe there are evil people that deserve for something to be done to them? Jail, prison, all that. Come on, raise your hand. Don't act like you're all holy now that you're in church. Watch this. Here's what he's saying. Never avenge yourself, but what? The way, an open door for? For his judicial righteousness. For it's in the scripture, his word, vengeance is, I will what is he saying? He's telling you that if you become vengeful, it will eat you and destroy you. But he's a good daddy. It's his job to protect you. It is his job to protect you. But then he tells us what to do. And this seems so contrary. Watch this. But if your enemy is that means this person you want to be vengeful towards is hungry. Do. If they're thirsty, for by this you will heap burning coals on his head. And then he says this, do not. And conquered by what? If you take vengeance, evil conquers you. If you hold on to vengeance, Evil conquers you. The enemy won. But instead, what? Overcome evil with? 
overcome evil with good. It takes trust in God to allow him to deal with the doubters, deniers, and haters. God is jealous of two things. Church, he's jealous over his glory and he's jealous over protecting and defending you. And I'm going to tell you this. God is real good at his job. Can I share a story with you, just a short one, that only took about 35 years to play out? Many years ago, I I wrote a book, and I would preach against rock music. Anybody remember those days? If you have that book and you bring it out in public, you're kicked out of our Savior's church. My hair's about down to here, and it's part of the middle. I look like Cochise. And... And uh, I was protesting Motley Crue coming here, and I wrote a book on rock music and its effect on young people and the five major themes, drugs, sex, rebellion, false religions, and false gods. And so Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses were coming here, and I was trying to stop them because in all their previous things, they were doing immorality during the concert, using drugs. And so I chronicled all that, brought it here, and the whole city was up in an uproar. Now, someone I met 10 days ago was at that concert. So the concert happens, and we're making all of these press conferences and news things, and, and I mean, there's all, all this stuff, uproar that's going on. At the end of that year, they listed the top 10 things that happened in Acadiana that year. Number two was this case. And so Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses come, but about half of the crowd is gone because of our protest. So I go, and I go and I stand in the back seat in the Cajun Dome, and I'm just standing on a seat like this. And the leader of Guns N' Roses gets up and, Hello, And then he says, we have a special guest here tonight and we all want to give him a Motley Crue salute. And all of a sudden, all the spotlights turned on me. (laughs) And I'm standing there. And they said, this is the guy that tried to get everybody to get out of here today. 5,000 people aren't here because of him. Let's give him a Motley Crue salute. And they all gave me a one-way sign, but it wasn't to heaven. (laughs) One of the heads of the Cajun Dome board that was so furious with me, a businessman in the community, came by when I'm standing there and the thing just got off of me and he, he walked up to me and he said, put that in your next book and walked away. Immediately, the police came and grabbed me and <laughs> ushered me out. It was like, honestly, it wasn't like real persecution. That was like my moment of fame. <laughs> Literally, there are people that still come to me. Now, think about that. As almost 40 years later going, I was at that concert, and when they flipped you off, I got convicted. <laughs> about four years ago, I... Uh, I was talking to someone in, in our community and uh, they're, they're not a part of our church and they were telling me that they had a father that was about to pass away and asked me if I would consider going and praying for him. And I said, absolutely. So I went over to the house, a very fluent area of town, walked in and looked down in the bed and it was that man. And I prayed with him and led him to Christ. And when I got in my car on West Bayou Parkway and was driving home, I heard the Lord whisper to me, I've got a very good memory. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Why? Because when I do it myself, I always judge wrong. 
That day when that happened, God set up, orchestrated, and knew the circumstances that would happen almost 40 years later where I would be with that man and pray with him to be born again on his final bed of death. God saw that. You know what I would have done? I'll ruin your business. Let me tell you something. You've been hating on Mexicans. Brown people matter. Chicano power. I don't know what's wrong with you. Why the white man always want to be oppressing us? I could have got my Mexican civil rights lawyer, Julio. I don't know who he is, but there's one name Julio somewhere. Here's number seven, resentment. Can, can I tell you something? This is just, this is so powerful. Do you know what the word resentment means? Watch this. To relive or to feel again. To relive or to feel again. Imagine me asking you to watch a video on my phone. Hey, I want to show you this video. And in this video, I show you someone saying terrible things about me and hurting me and people that I love terribly. And I went, can you believe that? They go, no, man, that's terrible. When did that happen? Oh, 20 years ago. But hold it. Wait, I got to show it to another guy. He's just come in. How crazy would I be? What would you think of me if I took a video around on my phone of people that hurt me and everybody that I came in contact with that I got real close to, I loved you enough to share with you how much someone hurt me. When I hold on to resentment, I give pain to the power of my past. Forgiveness enables me to let go of what the enemy sent to hold me back. And keep me in my past. I must release all of resentment so that God can be my true defender. One of my favorite quotes is in Genesis 18.25, the last part of it. God's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's talking to Abraham. And Abraham is pleading with God. And Abraham finally says this, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Look at me. I don't know what's happening to you, but will not the judge of all the earth do right on your behalf? I don't know what's happened to your children or your business, but will not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes, he will. And I'm going to tell you like one African-American preacher said, it takes a while sometimes. He's slow, but he's show. You can clap. Go ahead. Here's, here's, here's the last one. Here's the last one. And this is the only word that I could find that kind of fit in context. Put it up on the screen. Raggedy mindsets. Now, I, I was raised in the hood, so if you had an old car, it wouldn't call old. It was called raggedy. <laughs> if, if, if someone was talking about your mama, which was the big deal in the 70s, your mama, your mama. It was like, your mama raggedy. <laughs> raggedy was, but so actually the Urban Dictionary defines raggedy as a slang word for torn up, nasty, or real ugly. We could actually call this stinking thinking. Raggedy mindset, stinking thinking. All life change begins in your mind. The word repent means to have a change of mind and a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. So let me ask you, what do you think about in most of your free time? What, what, what are you thinking about? Your life is moving in the, deck, in, in the direction of your greatest thoughts. Whatever you think about the most, your most frequent thoughts, your life is moving in the direction of your most frequent thoughts. Romans 12, 2 says this, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but instead be and what? That means this is daily. This is regular. This is every day, this is every week, this is every month, this is every year. Be progressively changed as you mature 
by the, of what? Focusing on godly values, ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourself what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Watch this. God formed you. Through sin, Satan deformed you and then tried to conform you to this world. But God desires by his word to transform you. God formed you. Satan deformed you through sin, guilt, fear, and shame. And now God wants to transform you. How how does he do that, pastor? How, How does he transform me in these last four or five minutes I want to tell you, it's in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Let's read it. Regarding your previous way of life of which you put off your old self completely, disregard the old former nature, which is being what? Through what? And be continually, what, say it loud, in the, of your having a fresh, untarnished mental attitude and put on the, New self-life regenerated by a new nature created in God's image. How do I let go, pastor, of the things that won't let go of me? How do I let go of the things that won't let go of me? Because as I sit here, I know there isn't one person that's here today that would say, pastor, I don't think what you're saying is true. I don't, there's one person here that would say, I don't think what you're saying I need. But there's a lot of people here that say, I've said this before, but it never happened. How do I let go of what won't let go of me? I want to give you four quick steps in the last three or four minutes. Can I do that? Number one, repent. Say that with me, repent. The word repent means simply to see it from God's perspective. To see it from God's perspective. It's you doing something in the way that you did it and all the justifications and then all of a sudden in a moment of prayer and pondering, God brings you up to where he sits and says, now you look at what you did from my perspective and you go, how can I do that? Repent. It means to see, to hate, and to turn away and go the opposite direction. When I repent, that's between God and in me. That's between God and me. When I sin against people, it's between God and me. And then the first person I need to go to is the person I've sinned against. Here's the second thing you do is you renew your mind. That's me and God's word. The first one is God and me. The second one is me and God's word. Your mind is as renewed as you want it to be. How much of this word is in your mind? here's, Here's what happens when we read the word of God. Ephesians 5.26 says, to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of what? The more I read this, it's like bleach. It washes the stains of sin, guilt, and shame away from my mind, and it begins to renew me. It erases the board of my spirit life that the enemy has tried to scar so that God can't write on it, and I don't see him and hear him there. Here's the third thing. Reclaim. What do you mean? I'm 62 years old. My real life began when I was 14 and a half and I was born again, living in my mama's bar in the Mexican ghetto of Houston. And God began a restoration and a reclaiming of my life. First, I decided I didn't want to live like my family. Secondly, I decided I wanted my family to come to know the Lord. Third, I had to decide I was going to move away from all that I'd known there as a flesh pattern, all the habits and all the ditches of hurts, habits and hangups that my family had fallen into. And each step I took away by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God, I got further and further away from what I was and closer and closer to what God had always created me to be. 
Every time I did that, I reclaimed new ground. Here's how the scripture says it in Ephesians 4, 27. And do not give the devil any foothold, any opportunity. Don't give him any foothold. And he says that to us because this word, when it says opportunity, actually is a Greek word, topos, which means topography or to give ground, to give ground. Don't give any ground to the enemy because the enemy's taken ground from your family long before you were ever born again and from people that you love. And every day as a child of God that you walk in the will of God and walk renewing your mind, what you do is you continue reclaiming ground. What does that mean, Pastor? It means when we sat around the Christmas tree and we shared what we were grateful for, then my 37-year-old son could look at me and say, Daddy, I want to be a man like you. One day I want to have a marriage like yours. And I could never say that about my daddy or about my family. I reclaimed in my generation what the enemy stole in the previous generation. I gained ground. I gained ground. Look at me. When you do what I'm talking about today, you actually reclaim ground. You reclaim ground. The fourth thing, repeat number one and number two and number three. And you do that throughout the duration of your Christian life. And I have been a Christian now 48 years. And that process of repenting Redoing and reclaiming has been repeated thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times in my life. Now today, as we close, let's pray as we prepare to leave these things behind in 2020. And remember, years don't change unless you and I do. Father, today, right now, in the name of Jesus, today we thank you for the word of God. That word that comes and so clearly speaks to us. Today. Every one of us here, starting with me, through every individual here, the youngest child, has habits, has words, has unhealthy relationships people that need to be removed from our lives. Just like habits and addictions that need to be removed from our lives. Father, today in the name of Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, put your finger, put your finger on those areas of our life. We can argue with others, but we can't argue with you. Put your finger on it. Because we want 2021 to be different. Forgive us, Lord. We repent. We repent. We repent. And right now, as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, let him do that. Let him just put his finger on those specific things and you just say, Lord, I repent. I repent. That's step one. I repent. I want to renew my mind in these areas of my life and I want to reclaim what has been stolen from me over the years in my family. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? I'm going to ask you for just 30 seconds to bow your head with me. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971. And I prayed with an African-American counselor in a chemistry lab. That day, I was born again. 
the old Jacob died and a new one was raised from the dead. That process of repenting, renewing and reclaiming has gone over in my life hundreds of thousands of times since that day. But I've never been the same since that day. Have you been born again? That's my spiritual birthday. Today can be yours if you've never been born again. Jesus looked at a religious man named Nicodemus who came to him and said, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised. I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? How can I do that, pastor? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. And he died on the cross for your sins so you wouldn't have to die with your sins. C, confess Christ as your Lord and as your Savior as you turn away from sin today through repentance to be born again. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. Today, that's what I want to do. I want today to be my spiritual birthday. I want to leave 2020 the old me and go into 2021 the new me. I've never been born again. I've never prayed to be born again. Would you pray for me today? If that's you on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, God brought you here. It's not an accident. Two, others are praying for you for this moment of your life and this new beginning. Three, if that's you, raise it up high. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Right where you are. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Yes, I see your hand. Anywhere else? Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Anywhere else? Now let's pray out loud together, church. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.